0: Worship. noun the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration verb show reverence and adoration for honor with religious rites, and that's rights in the sense of ceremony or acts welcome to the training day podcast my name is david sandridge i'll be uh, hosting our interviewee today but we want to talk about being equipped for everyday good works in this session We're focusing on worship. So just how does worship equip us for everyday good works? Over the last 10 years, I've been able to serve alongside our guests. And in the process, we've covered a lot of spiritual miles. Phil Danford is the worship director and one of the lead deacons at our church, Gospel Community Church in Fayetteville, Georgia. And Phil, before we get into the history and the questions that people have for us, I don't know if you've been following fashion trends, but here lately, flared leg pants have been making a comeback. My question to you is, are you excited with the possibility or the prospect of Jinko's
1: making a comeback? Oh, please. In wallet chains. Yeah, wallet. Okay.
0: But I just, I, I just felt like that would be important to you and important to some of my other brothers, the Alley people. But I saw that on my recommended Amazon list and I was like, they're not jinkos, but they're flared, nonetheless. the least. Yeah, that's an important comeback. Yeah. So, there's a lot of ground to cover as far as worship and how that equips us uh, for everyday good works, but let's kind of start at the beginning. When did you feel a, a calm or a tug or pull to start leading worship?
1: So, I started playing guitar in high school and I was just so hooked with the mechanics of guitar, like learning riffs and, and learning tread and stuff like that, listening to Guns N' Roses and, and, and old school metal. And I enjoyed it, but like, I think I was like obsessed with it too, to where like I, my mom tells me, she's like, yeah, you listen to the same song 400,000 times and then you would be sick of it and never want to hear it again. <laughs> it was a fun hobby, but I think there was like an emotional connection that went with music that just like kept spurring me on to go further. And then when I became a Christian, i was just chomping at the bit to play in a band and combining the love of music and the love of of god it was like just puzzle pieces clicking together instantly i knew this is what i was made to do my intimacy with god grew by understanding worship more and being used to lead people so yeah that's how i connect guns and roses and and worship
0: was there like a particular song or artist or dating ourselves CD that kind of made the whole, you know, you got your love of music. You're learning more and more about God and hopefully we still are. Was there a moment that put it together for you? Like, wow, okay, so this is a thing and, you know, I
1: can do that. So the the church I grew up in was like an old school Pentecostal church and I liked doing it. I liked the function of playing guitar, but like I could not stand the music we were playing. Like, every single Sunday, I was like, who wrote this stuff? (laughs) Uh,
0: Why are there so many walk-downs?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then it's so crazy thinking about, like, the way that we used to do stuff, because it would be... I would have no idea what we were playing, but, like, the worship leader would just be like, C, it's C! And we would just, like, stay in C for an hour and a half. (laughs) Like, I I think I know what I'm doing. but um, Practice your scales. I think, like, I, I don't think I had really gotten into... I think the first time I really started playing some more contemporary stuff and like stuff that was like reflective, like a little bit more reflective, like, like hill song stuff and, mm-hmm. um, you know, stuff that wasn't just like tambourine yeah. all the time that they're like, oh, this fits my mood and my personality more. And like just the, the intimacy in the lyrics, I think it drew me in a lot deeper than, you know, how I was cutting my teeth. Yeah. I grew up Southern Baptist and. When I went to college, I got to a
0: more non-denominational setting that had all kinds, but the uh, worship had more of a earthy, yet Pentecostal type leaning. So I grew up on hymns and I remember hearing a live CD by Delirious called Live and in the Can, and in between the songs, there was this time to the, the worldly musical ear would be construed as jam sessions but what you hear underneath is like this worship going on and i was like wow i had no idea that could be a thing in that and uh, <clears throat> which we would made mention of before in the worship circle 100 portraits in water deep it's just like this music that felt like it had been played to me while i was still on the womb. it was just like incredible so that yeah i always like to find out what the light bulb or, or where everything clicked you know with each and like to have this conversation with any anybody who loves worship music. So tell me a little bit. And I know based on what I know that there's a lot. But your your day job when you're not wearing your worship leader cape, you're wearing your Clark Kent glasses. What do you do during the week, and how does that prime you for what you are to do coming up on Sunday? Maybe prime isn't the
1: best word.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gives us a more intense focus of need or
1: whatever it, it, it makes me look forward to sunday a lot more yeah but that's priming right? yeah yeah <laughs> so i'm a, a home builder and I, I deal with construction trades and homeowners and a lot of people that are very angry all of the time how it's helped in leading worship is just being able to connect with people and communicate too like i think that's the weird skill that I didn't think I would learn in building. It's like, this person is saying this and their actions are speaking this way, but it's probably because they're feeling a different way. Like Right. They, they, they might be mad in this moment, but it's because of whatever fear, insecurity or, you know, and like it, as much as it sucks in the workplace, like it really is like these are tools for loving people and discipling people better. And like, I think that's one way that the Lord is shaving off some of the callousness on me is like there's so many layers of emotions that go into our interactions that if you can view people with the heart of Christ, you can cut through a lot of the, the stuff and see where people are really coming from. We, through our
0: trading day podcast Facebook page, have received some questions. And if you're listening and you have a Facebook, send me a message and I'll add you to the group so you can stay up to date on all the goings on from the podcast. Elisa has a couple and I'll, I'll take a pause in between. This is a big one, but we can narrow it down to a few things that are kind of tailored for you as an individual, but what should the primary goal be as a worship leader.
1: I really think my answer to that has probably changed so much over 15 years a week. Like, you know, 22 year old Phil would have been like, well, it's playing the chords right and making sure that you know, the sound is great. And, um, got that click doubled up, right? Got to have the click <laughs> going, um, got to have the lasers just right. Mm-hmm. And What I feel my drive mostly recently is just being authentic, mm-hmm. like it's so easy to fall back into just performance mindset and just you know put pl- playing the songs and and singing the words and, and as a performance as a show and to lead authentically and to worship authentically and and to like to know what the role's for like the music is is almost less than secondary in, in a way like you you have to Know that you're there to call people to do something that's so weighty and so um, sacred that you're setting an environment for people to lay aside everything else and, and focus solely on Jesus. So having that at the forefront of your mind, like you're creating an atmosphere where people can lay aside everything else, focus on Jesus, being stubborn for the truth, being sensitive to the spirit. It's like 16 primary roles, but <laughs> that was I mean, that, yeah, been that,
0: there's probably many more that we could focus on okay next question how do you choose which songs to sing on a given sunday
1: well the cool thing about our church is the band is so stinking passionate and plugged in like there's no lack of suggestions because like present present company right right but like but like everybody sends in stuff all the time and like what I love about our dynamic is that where I might not be drawn to a certain d- direction or a certain style of song or a certain, you know, whatever somebody is and somebody's having intimate worship time and the Lord's using a, a particular song to speak to them in, in a certain way. So I think what happens on Sunday is like a collective projection of, of what the Lord's doing in all our hearts. But for just practically, you know, they got to have a gospel smell test. You Yeah, ha- it, there's... Explicitly, either reflects scripture or demonstrates the gospel. Like I, I, I don't think stuff that's very vague and and metaphor. Like I think it's it's really really appropriate a lot of times for for private worship, but for corporate worship, I want to make sure that the truth is so obvious and paramount in the songs that we sing that there's no question yeah. about what we were singing about on a given Sunday. So yeah, gospel accuracy, and then really like what's effective for our body we're a particular people that respond a particular way i try not to him in the like the style of worship we play i want it to be something that our body is going to respond to and something that we can actually do because there's a lot of songs that are awesome that i'd love to do but i just know like we ain't gonna do that <laughs> like a 20 piece horn section ain't gonna ain't gonna go over well and i try to pick songs that are, that complement the, the theme of the sermon series we're in. And like, we're in the, in the minor prophets, like themes of repentance and themes of like loving discipline and stuff like that's trying to make sure that what we're doing is a response to the preached word. And honestly, sometimes the Spirit just works it out. Like, well, I'll right. be like, <laughs> I didn't know that's what Kirk was going to say, but this song goes great into it. Yeah. Um, cause, cause God's sovereign.
0: That happens so much.
1: Yeah. That's crazy.
0: Speaking of the song selection, for those listening, you may, if you attend our church, have noticed a uh, pattern. We infuse at least one hymn per service, and that's considering the the, the history of the church. We just celebrated our our 10 year anniversary. It's a fairly new development as far as its intentionality goes. Uh, if you look at the overall arching scheme
1: or timeline of our church, what prompted that uh, that focus? One, like as we become more diversified as a body, the real heart of the worship leader is trying to, to see what's, like I said earlier, like what's, what's, what is most effective for our particular body. Yeah. And there, there is like an emotional and historical deep connection to some traditional hymns that is a fitting response for certain people, you know, whether they grew up with it. And, and there's a, there's a reverence in communion Yeah, like being tied to the history of the church, like us doing ancient hymns, or you know, not even ancient hymns, but us doing traditional hymns, continuing a legacy of the Church of Christ. And then you know, there's not many contemporary songs that are just so explicitly going to outline theology and you know stories of repentance and redemption, and you know, or outline the character of God as hymns. You know, like some that are that are just you know pulled straight out of scripture, like it's yeah so us neglecting hymns i think we're missing if we were we would be missing out on on something really really special in a worship service
0: and there's something to be said too because we've done hymns since the inception of our church but there's something also to be said for albeit not as intricate as maybe an orchard kestrel arrangement but there is something to be said for the traditional arrangements of the hymns too because there is an aspect of familiarity like you said that draws in but i know that i've done over the years, arrangements where the music just didn't match the message, you know? (laughs) And so um, I'll I'll spare the examples, uh, but that's a part, I think, uh, of our service uh, because especially at the end of communion, which I'm so glad that we do every week, just observing that and, and having that time to reflect, I think it's served our body well. Another question is, what are some common pitfalls for worship team members and how Can the church members pray for them, hold them
1: accountable, support them to help guard against those? I think my first gut reaction when I hear that question, I think, like, What are Phil's common fit pitfalls? Yeah, you know? like <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking about all mine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um,
0: i tell you what, let's do it.
1: I'll tell you yours.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. I like,
1: um, I think pride, yeah. like, like. In all its manifestations. So, being such a public role and being such a front-facing role, it is so hard not to make it about yourself, not to make it a show, not to make it a performance, because you are literally performing. You know, it, it is so hard to divert all glory, and the temptation is always, "Hey, this service went great. Maybe it's because well, I did great." You know, right. <laughs> like that—that's that's, that small voice where. Or, you know, this service went awful. What could I have done better? You know, I mean, we forget that this service is the Lord's and we're just lucky enough to be used. So pride, definitely. And feeling the need to have a fake face. I mean, you know as well, I do. I don't feel it every Sunday. You know, yeah. my heart and my soul yearns for worship. But some Sundays I roll in and, and like, oh, I don't feel like I don't feel like setting up beer at, you know, 7 or 8 in the morning and, go through yeah. guilty songs. So like the natural tendency is like, well, let's fake it or let's, you know, because the other option is just being up there looking depressed, you know. I think that's a real dangerous place to be is when your actions, your your talents, your all of it's in it, but your heart's not in it. And I I think that has a real effect on the worship service and the leader personally, like there's such an opportunity for intimacy with the Lord on stage and singing with your body. But if you're stuck in a habit of being performative or, or trying to fake it for, I don't know whose sake, you know, not not your sake, sake but it, it's really detrimental. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, and this is not the right mindset, but
0: a lot of it stems from what are others' expectations of me in this moment? And sometimes the expectations are good and, and noble and stuff for us to strive for. But when that's that becomes so loud and so prominent, you know, one thing I, I think about this question, I think we could sum up it's like, what are the common pitfalls? You know, how can church members pray and hold them accountable? Supporting the guard against these things. I think it all comes down to guarding your heart. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to do that. For me, personally, I would have, and this isn't exclusive to my time at GCC. This has been kind of my whole life. But, you know, I, I feel a certain way, but I know based on God's sovereignty, that the way I feel is wrong. So I'm not really going to let myself dwell in that sin, or I'm going to fight it. And nine times out of 10, if I don't let the Lord do what He needs to do in my heart, uh, even than me trying to do the right thing, and my heart's not wanting to do the right thing, I'm going to lose that battle every time. And so that's from not guarding my heart. And Mm. it's a practical ways I could have guarded my own heart with the holy spirit's help and not that these practical things wouldn't be immune to walking in sin and doing these things but you know being transparent and being to a degree outspoken not commenting on every single solitary little thing heck phil you know i think you didn't you know tuning your e string quite right on that you know so let's try to do better brother because you're deep doing deep. the lord's work all right <laughs> Uh, that E string just ain't going to get it, but not but but not. You know, it's funny because you know when you talk to to people, and especially when you're trying to, from a practical level, trying to refine something as much as you can, everybody's got an opinion. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, well, you know, but it, you know, sooner than later, I think you know the worship team members and you know the church as a whole, because everybody serves on some level and serves. And whatever is, is, you know, whomever you're serving with, uh, you save yourself a lot of heartache, you save yourself a lot of toil and potentially bitterness if you just extend that benefit of the doubt. Yep. And, and communicate in that. And a lot of times you'd be like, okay, so Phil, what you're saying is you don't like strawberry Pop Tarts. And Phil's like, no, that's not what I'm seeing at all. You didn't hear me. And so we can clear that up. And, and he can, you know, not fall into sin in that regard by choosing. You know, brown sugar pop tarts over strawberry. So anyway, this isn't about personal things, but you know, as far as how how to guard ourselves, you know, really what we can do is see what we have observed. But I think the things that are most powerful and poignant are things that the Lord has actually done in our hearts too. So that's for free. Another question is: Does the theology of the writer matter? Why, or why not? Pass, pass. <laughs>
1: um, Yes, this is a this is a super pertinent question because I think maybe not everybody that'll listen to this, but a lot of people around the worship team and just you know, several people in our body have raised this question, and it's something that can potentially be divisive, I think, that I don't think it needs to be. I think what you just said, in a family of believers, there has to be an, an effort on everybody's part to extend the benefit of the doubt, and us as churchmen, as church leaders, just to walk in humility, because there's a way to be faithful, and there's also ways where we, we just can't be, where we're walking in inconsiderateness of people's stumbling blocks and people's personal convictions. So, all right, so a twofold answer. What is my personal conviction as it pertains to my time in worship and how would I view this from the corporate worship standpoint? So my personal conviction is my personal worship time. I think if you looked at like, and I don't, I don't know if it's public or not, but like my my iTunes playlist is probably the craziest mix of, well, <laughs> of I'm, music.
0: I'm, I'm your friend on Apple Music, so I can say it anytime I want.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know what you're into. But yeah, like I mean, it it ranges from like obviously like contemporary worship to death metal to like <laughs> pop punk, country. And I think it's it's by nature of being a Christian, like I feel moved to worship in all forms of art, and no matter what the writer's intent was. So secular songs, secular movies, secular art, in one way or another, I believe all good art reflects the gospel, whether explicitly or implicitly, like I can see the beauty of creation and the beauty of God through any music that I listen to. That being said, for personal and private worship time, I look at songs on the merit of the lyrics themselves. I feel like that, that supersedes the writer's beliefs, the writer's affiliations, the writer's, whatever organization they represent, I'm able to make that separation and some of my most precious songs for, for private reflective worship are songs that I think if we dug into the person's theology, like we wouldn't see eye to eye on a bunch of stuff. Right. I think that's like. It's something super universal. I mean, I think, I don't think it's new just because like we have so much worship to choose from and so many different worship leaders to choose from. Like, this is something that's universal. Like if you, you know, doing like reads over some of the traditional hymn writers, I wouldn't affirm everything these hymn writers read in or wrote or. Some of them would have been canceled. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, even after their salvation. Yeah, me yes. oh. yeah, like some of the most precious songs that we have that we sing. If I don't know if we would invite this guy to speak, you know, if he was around today. But like I said, walking in humility and thinking and putting my brother and my sister before me and my personal convictions, I think is that that's the way a church leader needs to be looking at these things. Like if if I know this is going to be cause somebody to stumble, this is going to cause somebody to, and rightly or wrongly, I'm not saying it's not it's wrong to have this conviction, but if we're going to be playing something that is going to be directly affecting somebody somebody's ability to worship or it's going to draw them away from from the Lord I need to be sensitive to that whether I disagree with it whether I want to debate it that being said I also think it's our job to call people out of comfortability to challenge certain mindsets and certain stereotypes and you know as as vague of an answer as I possibly can they're both (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah it does and doesn't matter okay so it does
0: well, and, and I would say the theology
1: that's in your heart affects and
0: informs something that may be deemed as ambiguous. Because, like, when you're talking about rocking out to Santori, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but you know, my that, man, right, right, you're idle. Um, but uh, no, but like when you're talking about something that that maybe isn't intentionally sacred in nature, which you know that's debatable too, because every good and perfect gift, you know. But uh, my art or your art can also inform the mindset in which we receive that. I think there's lots of hills to die on. I think one that harms the body is not one, you know. And I think uh, leaders, along with one of my favorite words, have, have their approach uh, with, with much nuance. And so um, I think that that is good because it protects the relationship of those that being in counsel with. So. You know, you didn't really, you said yes and no, so there you go. does the theology of, all right, let's 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 talk around this question, or so that the theology of the writer matter. I think it does in and of itself for the writer because it sure. informs who they are for their own salvation, for their own eternity. And I thought about, I was thinking, and I mentioned this to you earlier, from a songwriting perspective, I'm looking over like a catalog of stuff and I and I told you this before, but I don't know if I've ever been able to look at a song that I've written or had a hand in or anything like that and been able to pinpoint my theology like as a whole. There's only a handful of songs that I would say that that are are modern-ish songs that are um, definitive theological statements. Here is my theology in a nutshell. And those of you who have been at GCC for the majority of our existence, will remember a song called Grace Alone by the Modern Post that was written by Dustin Kentrier. Go listen to that. There's a whole lot of words, a whole lot of truth, and… It's like an essay. It is. It, <laughs> it, it is rhymes. an essay. It is like, here is every theological point within this song, and it is solid. And it's, you know, it's a good song, too, but at some point, I think a writer could listen to that song and feel pressure to put their entire theological belief system within three and a half minutes, and sometimes it doesn't work out so well, (laughs) sometimes. But from that perspective, I would say it's important that the content, whatever exhaustive or minimalistic it is, I would
1: say that the theology of that is sound. Yeah. And, you know, so in that regard, I would say, yeah. Well, and when you reread the question, like I realized, I think I rabbit trailed so far off what the actual question was. Who are you talking to about rabbit trails? Oh, the rabbit master. Yes, yeah. we're good. So, does the personal theology of the writer matter? Mm-hmm. And I think, like you, you hit the nail. Well, with it. Like,
0: and it doesn't necessarily. I don't know if that's what Nicole was asking exactly. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if you add a word into this question here or there, you can have lots of different views on it but from a personal yeah well for the, okay. for the sake of the writer i hope so well when i
1: heard it <laughs> when i heard it again i was like well you know yeah it's absolutely it matters to them obviously a whole yeah. lot but i think so going back to viewing all things through humility, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I do not have the corner on correct, right theology. Oh, right. right whatever, whatever yeah. I believe now is is being informed constantly. Yeah. yeah, is being improved constantly, and hopefully to the day I die, like oh, wrong thinking and and misinterpreting scriptures and stuff that's unhelpful, God will continue to shave that off. But I know the question is more: if it's something that is directly counter to what I believe, can I ingest this worship? And and I think. The the merit of the song itself, whether the writer intended it in that way or not, God is still using that song as a vehicle for truth to deliver to you, regardless of what the writer's intent was. God transcends the shortcoming of the writer and uses whatever he may to draw you to worship. Yeah. And currently, a lot of the fear, and I think it's a sound fear just from hearing people in our church, is that if we play this type of music, won't it lead people to go investigate this organization, this church, this preacher, whatever, that is harmful? And that's something that I think you have to be the type of leader that is sensitive to your particular body. And it has your finger on the pulse of what are the waves of our church? Like, is everybody searching in our church? Like, is everybody, do we have the kind of people that are continually searching deeper? Like, are we constantly having these theological arguments? And is that talk that we're hearing that people are going down these rabbit trails to places that are potentially dangerous? You know, and I won't answer yes or no, but like, I think that's something that it's the duty of a worship leader of a pastor to know how is my body wired or how are the people in our church wired is this something they need to be protected from or is this something that we have the duty to put in context and redeem for the glory of god yeah
0: yeah yeah well i think it too and and not to i i, I want to be clear when i use this example i'm not trying to equate a leader to a parent and a member to a child but to some extent, from a content standpoint, the leadership are, you know, the first line of defense, the gatekeepers, so to speak, the under shepherds of the body. And I think about like with my kids, I don't forget how much I freaked out and how much it shook my world when I heard my grandfather say a cuss word on a golf course for the first time. I was 10 years old and I had never heard anybody in my family in real life say a cuss word. And I was like, oh. I I didn't even want to drop a golf cart. anymore, And that was a big deal at 10 years old. And my dad being a preacher, you know, a lot of the reason I wasn't always around that kind of language is because people were very conscious of my dad's presence, you know, too. So, but the older guy was like, you know, it didn't have to be that weak. And and, and so with my kids, I'm like, we're going to sit and there's this movie and. These kids are going to go searching for buried treasure, five pirates and one not Willie and a sloth. Some of the words they say, we're not going to say, okay? All right? This is 80s PG. But this is a pretty dope movie. So yeah. let's watch it, right? <laughs> but I have a conversation with the girls about what you think, how that, you know, make you feel. I mean, and we have a rapport enough to where, hey, you know, um, this is, this wouldn't be the verbiage they use, but like, hey, this is, you know, more b- morally questionable to me. Um, I need you to talk me through this. You know, there's no more closer relationship or transparency at this moment in my life than I have with my kids and my wife. And I feel like if our relationships within the body, within the church, we had that kind of open gate and communication, it wouldn't exempt us from having to have a closed fist about some things, but it would enable us to talk about the things that we could with an open. Mm. And it's not a, a parent-kid dynamic. It's that closeness, that openness and transparency. If the relationship is healthy, we can have those conversations. Or maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. That's like a visit to the doctor. Is there anything else that I missed? Do you want to hit on? No. Okay, that was pretty good. All right, well, look, church, worship, the reason it's so important and the reason it equips us and the reason that we get that sense of fulfillment and peace when we do so with open hearts, open hands, because we can't bring anything to it. The reason it's so crucial is because when we search for meaning, we search for purpose in life, what we were created for was to worship God. That is why we do it, how we do it at best with all our hearts. And as we continue to try to learn on this side of eternity, What that looks like, God is uh, giving us in His grace and mercy times of sweetness, giving us in His grace and mercy times of hardship so that we can reflect and look forward, for lack of a better term, to the mountaintop again. As we're equipping for everyday good works and we can't see God's hand leading us and drawing us into worship, we need to fix our gaze because if nothing else, He's constantly drawing us in and our response is to worship Him our heart, our mind, our soul, all our strength. We can't do that yet because we haven't been perfected, but He is perfecting us. So be encouraged that we are being equipped for everyday good works, that our worship is a tool, that our worship is our purpose, and that our worship is of God and nothing else. Thanks for listening to us this week, and we will be coming at you with something very soon. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Dave.
1: How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He give His only Son To make a
0: wretch His trail.
1: How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away
0: As wounds which mar the chosen
1: one Bring many sons to glory Shoulders ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scholars, and it was my sin that held him there until it was
0: a is
1: should I get